Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the All Out Coach Podcast. My name is Tim. I'm your host. This is your show and opportunity to advance ourselves and also our teams by focusing on the depth, the knowledge, and meaning from one conversation to another. Today, my guest is one of the most dedicated people that I know. She's a renowned leader in the world of pharmacy. Her name is Lee Briscoe Dwyer. I've known her quite a long time. She's currently the director of the pharmacy at the United Health System, a comprehensive healthcare network that includes many hospitals in Binghamton, New York. She's also the board member of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, or ASHP. Throughout her career, Lee has held many different responsibilities that span healthcare systems, such as her vice president role in the network of pharmacy at Westchester County Medical, her other administrative executive roles at the North Shore Health System, which is now called Northwell. She continues to be a mentor to pharmacists across different facets of this profession as well. The clinical experiences and responsibilities she's held, and also in the industry as well. Uh, early in her career, she was the medical science liaison for, for, for Pfizer. I mentioned that I'd known her a long time, and uh, I've been able to reconnect with her now just recently. But what I find remarkable about her uh, enthusiasm, her passion for the pharmacy is that after every single one of her presentations that I attended, whether it was at a national meeting or a regional meeting, I left them more inspired, more empowered about myself as a person, as a leader, as a pharmacist, and the unlimited potential that this profession, this trusted healthcare profession has. And so I'm particularly happy and truly privileged uh, to be able to reconnect with you, Lee, and to have some of your time with me here on All Out Coach. Well, thank you very much for those for those kind words. Um, I'm, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here and talk about, you know, some of my favorite subjects, which are pharmacy and, and leadership and making a difference. Sure. I, I introduced some of the highlights from your career, but I'd like to ask you to give your perspective of some of the biggest accomplishments in your career and also the direction and your inspiration currently, Lee. Sure. Um, you know, I, I always say that, you know, pharmacy chose me. I, I, I didn't choose pharmacy. Pharmacy chose me. You know, I had had what you would consider to be a Cinderella career. Um, you know, to be able to sit at this point in my career and look back and say, you know, you know, every step that I've made in my career, I've been able to build on what I've learned before. Um, but to, you know, to sit here and say that I'm on the board of ASHP, you know, that's, that, that's a dream. And uh, I, I still, I'm still in the, in the pinch me mode for that. Um, you know, it's hard to say that there's a highlight. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the thing that I love most is, is making an organization better, knowing that it's better when I leave it than when I got there. Um, having people identify um, that they are, in fact, really good leaders and to have them find their niche and to really see them grow and blossom in the roles that they have. Um, and I think that the thing that I am most proud of is probably when someone comes up to me at a, you know, at a meeting, you know, big, little, you know, national, local, and they say, you know, I remember you and I remember something that you said that still stays with me. 
Um, I think that that is really, that's my greatest accomplishment. Were there some mentors uh, that you aspired to early in your career that helped fuel that passion, Lee? Absolutely. I, um, I, I have said on more than one occasion that, you know, I would not be sitting where I am today without Dr. Tom O'Brien, who was the director of pharmacy at Bassett Hospital when I did my internship hours there uh, in my last year of pharmacy school at Albany. And, um, you know, Tom saw something in me and kind of sat me down and asked me what my plan was. And I told him what my plan was. And he's like, yeah, that's not a good plan. Uh, he's like, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. And, uh, and that included going back to school and making sure I got my PharmD. And um, he was the first person who got me involved in my local pharmacy organization. When as a student, he said, um, you know, by the way, nobody made plans for tomorrow night because there's a meeting that you're going to be going to and I'm taking you. It, it wasn't, do you want to go? It was, we are going to this meeting because it's part of your obligation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, and I'm very, you know, I'm very lucky that I, you know, that I can still reach out to Tom and, and I, I still see him and I still thank him profusely every day for, for helping me get on this path. Um, and I think that's why I take mentoring so seriously, because I really don't know where I would be if I didn't have, you know, somebody like Tom uh, to, to help me. Um, to, to get started and to kind of keep me on my, uh, keep me on my path. Um, and I think that that's, um, so it's one of the reasons why it's so important to me. And one of the things that I always talk about with students and with, with young leaders is, I know to develop that core group of people around you that you trust, uh, not a, not a big group of people, but a very small group of people that you trust that you run stuff by. So, you know, look, I've got this opportunity. It's moving outside my comfort zone, but it's a great opportunity. I've got, you know, I might have to move. I might not have to move, but, you know, and, and, you know, they'll give you honest feedback. And, you know, cause I think that sometimes, you know, trying to look into a mirror, it's, it's difficult to see, you know, what your, what your true strengths and capacities are. Um, so you use that group, you know, your, I call it your tribe, you know, you use your tribe to help you um, uh, make some of those decisions and, and keep you on task. Mm -hmm. And you try to be, I guess, the best student you can be, right? Of those mentors, which... Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Lee, uh, we've made many advances in healthcare. We live longer than ever, yet a lot of disparities continue to exist among elderly, among many patient populations. I know you're very passionate about this. Can you talk about the disparities in healthcare currently, what your perspectives are on potential sure. solutions? You know, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the COVID pandemic really, you know, I identified some of these disparities that we have in healthcare because we saw differences in, um, in, uh, in population to both contracted COVID and those who did poor versus uh, those who did well, um, those who died versus those who didn't. Um, and we're still kind of teasing out some of that information, but I think that those numbers are, are certainly valid um, and, you know, kind of give us a target of, okay, so now that we're starting to recover and dig out, now we know what we have to do. Um, I think that when we were able, for example, we were able to, to move to a lot of virtual, you know, virtual physician visits, virtual education, uh, which, which I think was, was great. It, it kind of showed that, that healthcare, which sometimes we think of as trying to turn the Titanic, right? We're actually a lot more nimble than we thought we were. Um, but, 
you know, I happen to, you know, live in an area, I live in uh, an area in upstate New York that's very rural. Um, I've also lived in areas down in in, in the yeah. city, which are which are very very urban, right? So, but I've always my my home and the place that I was raised is yeah. in upstate New York in a, in a very rural area, and broadband internet is still not available to 100% of the people. And so I've had, you know, I've, I've had friends who've actually moved during during COVID because their kids were being taught online. And they didn't have internet services. They literally had to buy a new house and move there so that they could have good internet service. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we saw a lot of frustrations with people trying to get online to get a COVID, to schedule an appointment for a COVID vaccine. Because if you think about some of those initial groups at, at the beginning, right? So it was people who were over 65, people who had a lot of con, uh, concomitant disease states. Um, not a lot of those people spread all over the country had the same access to the means by which you needed to make an appointment. All the appointments in New York state were online. Mm-hmm. If you don't have internet, you don't get an appointment. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, looking at, you know, where I am in, in Binghamton and in Johnson City, um, we're doing a lot of outreach because there are, you know, in order to reach herd immunity for, the, for COVID vaccination, you know, you need to meet a pretty significant percentage of the population. Not mm-hmm. all that population is going to come to you. Mm-hmm. You have to go to them. So, you know, we go to them for, the, for, for homeless, for homebound, um, for, uh, for behavioral health patients. Um, so we actually, you know, we, we have to make that, that determination that healthcare is not always, you know, people aren't always going to come to you in healthcare. You've got to do the outreach to them. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think sometimes it's difficult for people who live in a very urban area to realize that there's not a large chain drugstore, you know, two stores on opposite corners everywhere you go. You know, there are counties in upstate New York where there's only one hospital in the entire county. Um, there are some places, you know, where I work right now, where if you get a discharge prescription from an emergency room at two o'clock in the morning, it's a 20 to a 30 minute drive to get your prescription filled. Mm-hmm. And so it's looking at those types of things that I'm actually interested in doing right now to try to figure out how we can bring healthcare to people, um, you know, who are in more urban and, and disparate areas. Yeah. One of the areas that I always wondered about and I saw a gap in in our healthcare is um, the conti- continuity of healthcare and the medication reconciliation is how we refer to it in pharmacy or how we used to refer to it when I was a student. Uh, and so how do you standardize uh, the highest quality of care across the different healthcare providers, systems, uh, insurance plans to make sure that the, you know, the right patient gets the right um, care by the right provider at the right time? Well, um, I, I'm going to preface this by if I actually really have the answer to this convers- this question, <laughs> yeah. we could be having this conversation on my private island in Bali. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, those are the kinds how- of questions we ask on all our coach. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you're being that I'm not in, uh, in my private island in Bali. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, that is one of the biggest issues that we have, right. Is, is health, you know, even healthcare within a system is somewhat disparate. Because and I, and I think that pharmacy has a significant role to play here, because pharmacy I kind of look at pharmacy as the clear as the central warehouse, because no matter who the patients go see, their cardiologist, their gastroenterologist, their rheumatologist, uh, their internal medicine person, if they're going to be getting a prescription from them, they all come to me. 
you know, they all come to the pharmacy. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, realizing that comes with some responsibility to say, okay, so I, I, I have this, you know, this task now of not just filling what's in front of me, but making sure that it's, it's appropriate in, in, you know, in comparison with everything else that I know about the patient that maybe some prescribers and, and, and some providers don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and that's where, again, medication reconciliation or med rec, uh, mm-hmm. you know, comes into play. Um, and then, I mean, we, I think that we've shown in, in a lot of different studies that pharmacists, in fact, pharmacists do medication reconciliation better. I think it's because of the fact that we do have some, you know, we've got more of that information, uh, but it's very time consuming, you know, and it's not something that you can, uh, you know, that, that you can kind of spit out really, really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that people who are really um, um, invested in fixing this problem and in, and in making it better, they need to realize that it, it takes a lot of manpower and it takes a lot of time to make sure that we get it done right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that standard, the first thing about standardization comes with figuring out ways to have access, you know, through different medical records, through different pharmacy records. You know, I know in New York, we have a Rio, which opens up some information to us, but I think that there's just, there's buckets of information out there and we're just not good at capturing it and being able to filter it and figure out what, what, you know, what some of the answers to the questions that we have are. Yeah. And, you know, I have family members uh, who have worked many years, uh, you know, at healthcare professionals themselves, whose insurance plans change, right? From one year to the next. Every January. And then they're able, yeah, and then they have to, they, they go through this delay in treatment that's critical for even cholesterol, for kidney disease, for hypertension. And, you know, they, they've, I see them being, you know, you know, having to face a lot of problems that could be, you know, avoided with more continuous care. As a follow-up to the technology there, technology that you have available at many different hospitals they also don't communicate with each other. You don't have this one standardized, uh, let's say, prescribing system across the entire healthcare system. Right? So how were you able to close those gaps with using the latest technology at, you know, in your leadership roles uh, in these healthcare systems? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually mm-hmm. very fortunate now uh, mm-hmm. because uh, at UHS, they actually just rolled out um, the EPIC system across all their hospitals. And mm-hmm. we actually use the same Epic system in our six retail stores. So mm-hmm. for the first time, I'm actually in a, in a position to see what happens when I actually do have that reach for, for both inpatient and, and outpatient care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, again, one of the important things there is to make sure that you have everybody on board. You have your providers on board. You have representatives from all of the different areas that work. Um, as you're rolling this out and building it so that people have what it is that they need uh, so that they can be champions for it so that people don't try to do a workaround to try to, you know, to, to get something out of it that it's not built to do because they want to see what they used to see when they have to realize that, okay, this is going to be a step forward. I'm going to get more out of it than I'm going to lose, but I, I may lose. You know, I may lose some of my autonomy, but the, mm-hmm. the standardization, you get quality and you get safety. And I think that those are things that are, are certainly worth losing a, perhaps a, a little bit of autonomy for. Mm-hmm. Are there particular patients, diabetic patients, which I know you talked about and uh, infusion pumps to technology where it's, it becomes a little bit more challenging to, 
standardize some policies across the different hospitals, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I think yeah, you, I mean, so, so yeah, so we actually at, at one of my healthcare systems re-rolled out um, smart pump technology to a large number of hospitals within a 12-month period. Uh-huh. And, um, and that took a lot of, I, th- I think the biggest thing that you, that uh, if anybody's trying to do a big project like that, the, the, the first thing you have to do is you have to over-communicate. Yeah. You have to make sure that everyone is, is aware of what's going on. You have to, you know, you put choices out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we actually used a, um, almost, almost like a chat room to discuss some of the changes that we were making to, uh, to smart pump infusions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then allow, and, and once a week, we actually had a, an open forum where people could come and ask questions. Um, and what we found over time is that the audience actually started answering their own questions. We actually didn't have to answer the questions as the, as the kind of the owners of the, of the smart pump process, because everybody else said, no, no, this is, this is why we have to do it this way. Um, and I think that made the actual implementation easier because there was ownership across the board. It wasn't pharmacy coming in to do something to everybody else. It was a, a group of us all coming together and rolling out something that was, you know, very large, but based in patient safety. And, um, you know, and we, and we would not leave, an, you know, we wouldn't leave a hospital until we knew it was right until we mm-hmm, knew that we mm-hmm. had 100% of people on board and it was and it was being done right and it was being run right and used correctly all the questions were answered then we could in fact move on to the next you know to the next place yeah but um, you know and standardization is a little scary again right. because people right. people like what they're used to um, but i think that asking people to you know to be open to change um, and to, again, be available, answer their questions, have them look at information and use, use the technology at first whenever possible um, to, to, to take away some of those, some of those fears, um, I, mm-hmm. I think is really important. And again, you cannot over-communicate when you're making a big change like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that's clear uh, emphasis there on communication. And uh, that's what always uh, struck me about you, how clear you were and how you mentored others and uh, the culture that you embraced in, in your teams, in your hospitals. And that's, uh, that's my follow-up question then. Uh, how were you able to bridge the technology with the kind of culture you wanted to create, to empower your teams, pharmacists, to uh, challenge maybe others, other partners in their and their healthcare team. Um, well, you know, there's a, sta- a saying out there that says, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you have to start with culture and within the culture, you have to start with trust. And that's probably the, the, the biggest issue is, is building trust amongst people. Um, but when you are able to finally do that and, and you know, uh, you know, people are, people are going to test you and, you know, you, you, you have to stand by your, you know, the, the decisions that you've made and, and how you want to be and the, and the culture that you've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to stand by that. And some people are going to embrace it and jump in and, and stay with you. And some people are going to push back. And at some point in time, you have to make the decision of whether or not, you know, no matter how brilliant that person is, um, if, they're, if they're toxic to the culture that you're trying to create, sometimes you have to let them walk away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but so the first thing you have to do is you've got to build the culture. You cannot build a team, you know, building a team on, on bad culture is like building a, you know, building a, a new house on, on a foundation of sand. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not going to work. 
and it you must have on the outside, but it's going to fall apart. Yeah. And one uh, important skill probably uh, that you had mastered was being able to tailor that culture, not just in one pharmacy, but across the entire system of um, healthcare system, uh, as you had leadership responsibilities that spanned the entire uh, healthcare systems. So uh, you, 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 you tailored that culture to the, the needs in that particular hospital, the, those patients, right? Uh, did you find that as a, you know, a, a challenge um, or any tips you have for, um, for just scaling, let's say a culture as, as, as a company grows or as the pharmacy or your team grows? My mission always was to demonstrate how pharmacy and pharmacists um, can impact patient care to the better. Um, again, no, no matter where you go in healthcare, if, you, if you're looking at the health system, right? Medications touch probably 95% of the people who walk through the door. It's, it's very rare now that you actually come into a health system and don't get treated or tested with some kind of pharmaceutical agent. So, mm -hmm. so that, that, that's big, right? Um, and then you think about the other, the other two professions, right? So you have pharmacists who are, who are doing this dispensing, but you have providers who are writing those orders. And so if you have a good medication system and good formulary and good policies in place, they're going to be happy. And, and provider satisfaction certainly drives the culture of an organization. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you work with your nursing staff and make sure that the medications that you, you know, that, that you have are available, uh, that they're available in the most ready to use form, um, that you build safeguards around there for your nursing staff because Everywhere else in the, in the medication use system, there is a, you know, there's a, there's a parachute, if you will, right? So when, if a provider orders something and it's wrong, pharmacist catches it. If a pharmacist dispenses something wrong, the nurse catches it. You know, there's nobody there to catch the nurse, right? But that's what barcode uh, administration is for, barcode bedside administration mm -hmm. of medications yep. Yep. and using the smart pumps. So now they finally have, you know, they finally have a net, if you will. So, you know, I think that by, but, you know, if we're going to give, uh, for example, if we're going to give our nursing staff um, those tools, we have to make sure that they are up to date, that they are that they are um, uh, that they're valuable, um, mm -hmm. and that, that they make sense. And mm -hmm. so, so that they're, if we're going to ask you to use this 100% of the time, we better make sure that it, it's a good product that we're asking them to use, and that our yeah. dr the drug is going to be there. So all yeah. those three things, you know, can can drive a positive culture around medication use. And to yeah. see pharmacy as, um, you know, as, as a partner, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so often we're considered the drug police, right? We're the ones who call yes. and, and yeah. tell everybody, you know, you right. can't use that. We don't have that. You know, it, it, it's restricted. It's not formulary. Um, but, you know, so we really try. I think that's probably the, if, if, if there's one thing to take away from this, that that's um, to try to build your, your communication and therefore your culture around the fact that, look, I'm not here to be the drug police. I'm here to be your partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You mentioned provider satisfaction uh, as one of the metrics or indicators of success. How did you approach metrics, KPIs in different healthcare organizations in pharmacy in general? Yeah, so metrics are metrics are are hard, right? Yeah. So, um, so there's a, and there's so many different things that can go into measuring productivity, for example. Yes. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you look at bed size, you look at doses dispensed, you look at your, um, 
you look at your critical index, you, you know, your, your, your patient, uh, your patient index of, of how sick they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously, well, I don't know if it's obvious, right? In pharmacy, we know that it's much more difficult to care for pediatric patients, for example, mm-hmm. than it is to care for adult patients because in pediatrics, everything is weight-based and almost, almost all your doses are individually prepared. Mm-hmm. Right? It's very, yeah. it, it could be because all the weights are different. So it's really hard to compare apples and apples when you're dealing with a pediatric population. Uh, compared to anything else. And I think that, you know, one of the traps that that people get into is there are some national benchmarking um, systems that are used. And so then they try to compare, you know, your hospital pharmacy to another hospital pharmacy and without taking into account, you know, all that, all they, all those uh, systems tend to look at are the productivity metrics. So you have this many doses, you have this many orders, you need this many people. Um, But none of those, uh, none of those systems take into account the fact that you have pharmacists that are in the ICU preventing patient deaths. You have pharmacists in the emergency department um, driving good care and good quality. Um, you, have an, uh, you have pharmacists running your antimicrobial stewardship program. You have pharmacists running your opioid stewardship programs and some of your pain mm-hmm. management programs. So you know, if you don't take into account those things, you're not mm-hmm. really going to get a true picture. And you're going to, as a, as a leader in the pharmacy, you tend to spend your days fighting for, you know, for, uh, for FTEs to be able to maintain the clinical programs that, you know, if you take away too many pharmacists, your quality is going to go down and your costs are going to go up significantly. And so you got to try to find that middle line. um, And, and there's, there's no algebraic equation for that. Every organization is going to be different. Yeah, I appreciated those comments very much, uh, the relevance and the significance of pharmacists. Uh, that's really why I uh, became a pharmacist, Lee, and why I chose my first project as a postdoctoral fellow to be one that was uh, focused on medication errors prevented by pharmacists, because there was a lot of data, of course, where, where you have pharmacists uh, be consulted by physicians during grand rounds, they reduce errors, and there's a lot of data on that. So uh, that was a multidisciplinary team early in my career that I was able to publish. And, and uh, when I started actually my, my career uh, in, in pharmacy and pharmaceutical, in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, it was actually the safety that drove me. I wanted to mm-hmm. impact bringing more safer medications to the patients. So your approach to technology has been very flexible. Uh, and you mentioned to me also telepharmacy, not just telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Can you describe uh, the prospects of telepharmacy from your perspective as well? So, you know, one of the things that we know for sure is that when pharmacists are able to counsel and communicate with patients, they have better outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we know that from uh, what the, the, the first pilot study that was done looking at collaborative drug therapy management um, in New York State uh, involved a number of different uh uh, disease states. Uh, but when you had a pharmacist involved, the outcomes tend to be better. Okay, so mm-hmm. we know that that makes sense. That's been proven. But, you know, how do you reach all of the patients that you need to reach? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how do you reach them at the time that, you know, is, is best for them? And so I think that, you know, we've, we've learned again, you know, we've learned a lot through COVID that, you know, th- that a lot of this technology is possible and a lot of this outreach is possible. So I, you know, I think that we need to make sure that we don't take any steps back as we dig out from, uh, from the pandemic. 
um, and continue to use things like telepharmacy to be able to reach patients when they have questions, to be able to check in with patients um, on, a, on a routine basis when you normally wouldn't have. Again, normally you'd have to wait for the patient to come to you. And you know, going and, and going to a, a doctor's appointment, a, a provider appointment, it's not easy. So, you know, you have to get there, you have to find a place to park or you have to valet park. And then, you know, these, these you know, uh, hospitals are big, you know, because they've, they've expanded and they've grown over time. So now, you, you know, you're walking the equivalent of a city block to get from the, the front door to where it is that you have to go. Yeah. And, um, and so it just, you know, the end of the day can, you know, you know can, can be difficult. Again, not the time maybe to sit down and try to explain, you know, and do a whole lot of counseling about a new medication regimen. Um, but yeah. maybe later on when they are home and they have some of their caregivers around them, that might be the best time because now I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm talking to uh, your daughter or your son who is the caregiver or you might have a, a home health care aide who's there. That's a really good time to talk to you because now we're involving everybody who's part of that process. Um, so, you know, we know the technology is there, um, you know, and now it's just a matter of you know, will there be reimbursement or will there, there be some kind of, um, of, of maybe perhaps grants to offset uh, the costs that are going to be associated with that so that we can demonstrate the overall impact on patient care, which would be a significant decrease in cost. I'm sure that it would, I'm sure that it would pay for itself. I know that you're a board member of the ASHP, Lee, and uh, you're part of the 2030 uh, initiative, right, from ASHP, the Pharmacy Advancement. Yes. initiative. So can you give us a preview of how you see the future of pharmacists and their reputation on the healthcare uh, in the healthcare profession evolve? Sure. So um, the pharmacy advancement initiative um, for 2030, you know, has grown out of the first uh, program that was started in 2010. And so every, every decade, uh, we stop and, and look at, okay, what have we achieved in the last 10 years and what do we want to aspire to be 10 years from now? So um, when you first look at the PII initiative, some of these things are really significant, the, these changes. But again, we're looking at something that's going to happen over 10 years. Uh, and, and, and 10 years really, in, in, in some sense, it's a long time. But if, again, if you don't plan for it, it will be over before you know, before you know it. So mm -hmm. um, you know, what we hope that the, the people will use the PAI for is to develop, you know, take a, a couple of the aspirational goals, build them into your strategic plan, um, so that you know that you can that you can progress. And so there are different areas of the of of the PI that uh, that you can look at. You look at pharmacist education and training, pharmacy technician education and training, um, harnessing data uh, and technology. Um, and then, um, you know, when we look at where, you know, where I hope pharmacy is uh, in 10 years from now, I hope that, you know, pharmacists are embedded in, um, in, in the teams. I think there's, there's going to definitely be a team approach to healthcare. As fee-for-service goes away, it's, it's, there's going to be less pressure on, well, you know, if I pay a pharmacist to do this, then I'm not going to, you know, have money over here to do that. If we're just, if there's going to be one reimbursement and, and the better care you get, you give your patient, the better your reimbursement is, then pharmacists are going to, are of course, going to be part of that team because we know that having pharmacists involved mm -hmm. gives us better outcomes. So yeah. you know, that's my goal. I think that, you know, pharmacists in some ways are too tied to product um, instead of the patient, right? So when you think mm -hmm. of 
you know, even even today, when you think of pharmacy, you think of pharmacy and 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 you and you relate it to a medication. You know, what I'm hoping is that pharmacists are then are are tied to patient and to patient outcomes as opposed to drug distribution. Okay. I think That's an important distinction. Yeah. Yes, and and the advances that we've made in in both pharmacy technician training and education and accreditation and licensure and registration, um, along with technology, they're going to take care of the distribution part. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if we're if, as a profession, if you're banking on having a role in drug distribution in 10 years, I, I, I think you're going to be missing out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really need to focus on, you know, so so now that we've distributed the drug. What's the best way to make it work? Yeah. Right. So a patient having a Ventolin inhaler in their hand or in their home doesn't do anything if they don't know how to use it right. Right. That's where pharmacy is going to play the role in making sure that they're using it appropriately, making sure that there's follow-up to say, all right, since we've, since we've made some adjustments to your care or since we've made sure that you've, you've got the, the things that you need, you haven't had to go to the ER you know, in six months or in 12 months. Mm-hmm. Those are the huge impacts that pharmacists can make. And that's, that's where we need to be thinking. Um, pharmacogenomics and individualized therapy uh, based on, uh, based on a, a pharmacogenomic um, activities, that's going to be significant. There's going to be much more, um, much more of that in you know ten years from now than there is today. Um, just like th- that's where we're seeing the specialty pharmacy growth as well. What you mentioned there about tying pharmacists' role to patient outcomes more directly, I think it's 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 consistent through throughout many different fields of pharmacy, clinical in the industry as well. You know, and that's, that's why I, uh, you know, consider you a true patient advocate, not just a pharmacy advocate, but a patient advocate, because through all of your uh, involvement, your mentorship of, let's say, early career pharmacists, you always brought back that, you know, the duty that they have that we had, you know, uh, to, uh, to patients, not to our profession, and then also to patients, to, to leadership. So, so I, I really uh, thank you for making those comments there because those who will listen, I think, uh, pharmacists or even those interested in the pharmacy career, I think they can appreciate the role that pharmacists have on, on patients' outcomes more, direct, outcomes more directly. So pharmacists are also becoming more entrepreneurial now, right? Yes. And yes, that, that's the one observation I've made. And so uh, the CDTM, right, Collaborative Drug Therapy uh, Management and, you know, MTM, Medication Therapy Management, how have they demonstrated the pharmacy's efforts and their time? How do you think that, how do you envision that their reimbursement uh, increase in the future? Well, you know, again, reimbursement, I think is, you know, it's a tricky issue right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I, I, I think that again, tying yourself to the outcome versus mm-hmm. the reimbursement is going to be very important because fee for service is going to go away. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if, if you have outcomes and data based on a fee for service model, um, you know, you're not, you, you can't necessarily translate that into an outcomes model. So I really think that what we need to be focusing on right now is developing the impact on patient outcome. Uh, so that when, as the as the um, as the insurers start to look at the different f- different types of payment models, we'll be ready to be able to demonstrate that this is why we have to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, you know, and and you said something about pharmacists being entrepreneurial, and 
I, yeah. I really think that's something that a lot of uh, a lot of pharmacy students, for example, don't you know might not recognize. And I and I, I think it's important that you talk about that. That you know back years ago when I first graduated, you know, with my bachelor's degree, you, you only had a couple of options as far as your career path. Right. You could work in a store, you could work in an independent, you could work in a chain, you could work in a hospital. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of nursing home, you know, there may be a little bit of consulting, um, but, you know, there weren't as many options today. You know, you have, you know, the pharmaceutical industry in, in pretty much every facet whether it's in sales, in marketing, in outcomes, in, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, in regulatory affairs, you know, pharmacists are everywhere. Um, I think that um, you, you see pharmacists opening businesses that are medical related, but not necessarily just drug related. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that it's, it's a fabulous springboard. Um, many people now get a PharmD in combination with an MBA because yeah. you know, when you look at the fastest growing segment of healthcare, it's, it's medication use, mm -hmm. right? So that, that number keeps growing over and over and over again. So what you need is you need to be able to, to, um, to join that expertise about drug therapy with expertise about finances, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to be able to, as we get more and more transparent with, um, you know, with, with the financial, um, uh, financial outcomes in healthcare, um, we need to be able to, to talk about, well, this is what it costs me to treat somebody. And this is what I get paid to treat somebody. And, you know, is there a way to, to make that, to, to change that, that, that discrepancy if there is one. Um, mm -hmm. So right now I think that we've, we've gotten really good at the clinical side, uh, but we need to now kind of marry that to the financial side. And I think that that's where, you know, the combo with the, F, with the, um, with the MBA is a great idea. Um, you, you're looking at people doing masters in public health. I mean, what a year for public health, right? What a year yeah. to be able to talk about what you know what herd immunity is and um, and the uh, the contagiousness of a disease. Um, you know, being able to speak to that and being someone who's trusted and somebody whose people uh, you know people think your opinion is valuable and you know that's you know that's again that's a way to get people to have faith in in the system and have faith in medicine and to say, you know what, I was, I was a little, I was a little concerned maybe about perhaps getting my, my COVID vaccine, but now that I've spoken to you, I feel better about it. So I'm going to make my appointment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lee, when I spoke to you recently, I mentioned to you that uh, I've, I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry for most of my career, 16 years, but I never forget the fact that I'm a healthcare professional, that I'm a pharmacist. And in various different situations where I've presented to PNT from uh, PNT committees uh, who decide on the formula, what drug to add or not, you know, they really restrict uh, those representatives from the pharmaceutical industry to only speak on the label or even do not even let them discuss the product. Uh, where I had to remind that PNT committee and those decision uh, makers that, look, I am a healthcare professional. I, and whether or not I'm a patient, I've, we, we all seek healthcare at some point, and so does, so does uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the PNT or the hospital administrators or those who uh, decide on policy and so forth. So uh, I, as a way to find common ground, right? Mm -hmm. So my, my question really is, how do you think that the pharmaceutical industry can partner more with different facets of pharmacy you mentioned, in clinical, in, in payers, health insurance companies? 
Are they doing a good job or what, what how would you envision uh, seeing those relationships flourish in the future between the industry and other areas of pharmacy or well, healthcare? You know, I, I think if you, if you try to view that relationship as a partnership, Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, you know, so the things that we need is we need uh, transparency, we need honesty, um, we need integrity on both sides. Um, I, I think you have to respect that everybody here has a job to do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when it comes to, you know, new drug therapy, it, it's, it's always, you know, it's one of the things that will send, uh, you know, panic in, into a, a pharmacy director's, you know, heart because, right. you know, I, you know, you know, I did my budget, I submitted it in October, it's January 2nd, I'm already over budget, right? So, and right. now this is going to hit me. So, you know, th- and that's, you know, that's kind of like your first gut instinct. So, um, you know, I, I look at a pharmacy budget, for example, I always, I always tell my PNT communities that we look at our pharmacy budget as an investment. Right. So the board of directors of our health system is investing so many millions of dollars, sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars um, in pharmacy. Okay, it's not a spend. It's an investment because we're using their money to buy drugs that then obtain an outcome. Mm -hmm. So the more information we have on outcomes, and I I think that, um, you know, again, coming to the realization that when there is a new agent out that, you know, that we're not going to use it in every single person who has that DRG, right? There, there's gonna be, a, there's in, in all likelihood, there's gonna be a role for it. Let's work together to find out where the best role is, you know? So you're not gonna get 100% of the patients, but I'm not gonna get 100% of the spend. So this way we don't have to hate one another, right? Um, so so I, I think that that's one of the things that you have to, that we have to work out is there, there's going to be a role where is that role? Is it on the inpatient side or is it in the ambulatory setting? And if it's in the ambulatory setting, you know, you know, where does it fit? And even in the hospital setting, where does it fit? Um, and, and how do we make sure that the claims that are made when a new drug comes out are in fact realized six, year, six months down the road you know, and three years down the road? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, I think that, uh, you know, um, looking at, at changes to formulary, maybe not as, you know, th- there's never really an end to a story because it's really something that's always going to be evolving. Um, but ha- be, having the commitment on both sides to be able to see that decision through and make tweaks along the way, you know, I, I think that that could be, again, like I just described a partnership, you know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's working as a team. Uh, you know, um, I, I, I think that everyone would admit that, you know, over the course of these last 12 months, the, the interaction between hospital pharmacy and, and the pharma companies has been, um, has been very, a very positive one. Um, nobody really knew what we were getting into, but when we needed more drug, we could pick up the phone and, and people got us drug. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that it was those, you know, it was then that we realized that the relationship is a lot more than just, you know, a superficial one. Um, that it, it is, there, there is more, it, it's, a, it's a deeper relationship. And I think that we need to, again, capitalize on that and figure out how we can work together so that both sides get what it is that they need. Yeah. Uh, Lee, you've had a very illustrious career where you've been able to leave many healthcare systems uh, much more productive, much more effective, much more innovative and relevant. And so you've made strong contributions. What 
uh, leadership message or lessons would you share with our pharmacists who may listen and as well as uh, anyone else who finds All Out Coach inspiring? Um, well, I mean, as I always say that, you know, I always tend to end a lot of my, my, my messages with the fact that I love being a pharmacist. Um, you know, it's not just what I do, it's who I am. And, um, you know, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I am so passionate about it. Um, I had the privilege of hearing Billie Jean King speak a number of years ago, and she, she made a statement, and that has resonated with me ever since, and I, and I probably say it every single day, um, that pressure is a privilege because it signifies relevance. You know, and there's there's pressure in being a pharmacist, whether you're a director, mm -hmm. you know, of, of a, you know, a 27 hospital system um, or whether you're, you know, a staff pharmacist in the critical access hospital. There's still pressure there, but it's, and it's there because you're relevant. It's there because you're important. And no matter where you are, you're making decisions that day that are going to impact people and impact their lives and the lives of their families. And, you know, there's there's pressure that comes with that, but there's joy that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I try to focus more on the joy than, um, you know, than on the, than on the pressure. Um, but, um, you know, being a pharmacist is not a, it's not a job, it's a calling. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you, when you answer the call and you're there uh, to do whatever it is that, that it takes, um, that's when you can go home every day saying, you know something, today I made a difference. And sometimes it's going to be a big difference. You know, today I vaccinated 427 people, right? I, mm -hmm. So now there's 427 people who, if they get COVID, are not going to die. I mean, yeah. that's a pretty big difference, right? And some days it's, you know, there was an, an elderly couple and they were wandering around and they were lost and they needed me to take them to the lab so that they could get some blood work drawn. You know, um, not as huge perhaps, but just as much heroic. Yeah. And so if, if everybody, no matter who's listening to this, if everybody just choose to make a difference in one person's life every single day, okay? And that's going to be 365 people who are impacted over the course of the year. Yeah. And so it was important that you were here and you were, you were definitely, you're definitely relevant. Yeah. Thank you, Lee, so much. On behalf of a lot of my pharmacy friends, pharmacists, my network in the industry and in, in different hospitals, uh, you've enriched uh, this profession and you continue Thank to you. be an advocate. That's why I'm, I'm very grateful to you as being our leader uh, for you. the profession. Thank you, Thank you so, so much. It's a great time to be a pharmacist. <laughs> great. That's great to hear also. Great. Right. Thank you, well, Tim. Thank it was you. great to talk to you. Thank you. You too. You too, Lee. Thank you so much.